message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. You know, preachers would say that if you can't preach after something like that, then you're, what they say, your wood's wet. Can't start the fire after that. Thank you, Patty, for that song, and thank you for the message that it includes. Today is an obvious kind of day in churches and for preachers because there's no real mystery on the subject of the sermon, right? Jesus is alive. And uh, so you can see the title of the sermon today, My Savior Lives. Now, in that context, I want to kind of think about some things maybe a little bit more specifically than we might normally think, especially on a day like today. Because we celebrate the resurrection as Christians, that's normal, uh, on this Sunday each year. But as we do that, I wonder if we ever really grasp the full effect of what we're celebrating. So here, here's what I mean by that. We know, the, we know the facts, right? We know the pieces of the puzzle. We know the parts of the story. We've heard it. If you've been in church... Uh, any length of time, uh, if you've been to vacation Bible school, if you've been uh, in a Sunday school class, you've heard the story, Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, he grew up, he lived a life that was free from sin, he had a, a ministry on earth of roughly three and a half years, he then voluntarily submitted himself to death for us so that after he was crucified, he, he rose up victoriously on the third day and now he's ascended back into heaven at his rightful place, the right hand of God, where he continually prays for us. And, and that's the brief summary of the gospel story. And so we know the pieces of the puzzle, but do we know the implications? In other words, what does that mean in my life, today, not just an abstract truth that we believe, what does that mean for me right now, in April of 2022? How can I take that truth and see the difference it makes in my life? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about giving the right answer in Sunday school. I'm talking about how does that change me? And obviously there are spiritual benefits, right? If you believe and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that because of Jesus, that's the only way you're going to heaven. You did nothing. You gained nothing. You can't get enough goodness in you to make it to heaven without Jesus. None of us can, can do that, right? So if we understand that and we trust in Christ, for our salvation, and we repent, turn away from our sins, and turn and run to Jesus, and trust only Him to get us to heaven, then, then that's what the spiritual benefits would be, right? So we get forgiven, we get eternal life, and we get to live by the Spirit of God here while we're still on earth. Those are the spiritual benefits. But I'm talking about, I'm not talking about that. Because we talk about that all the time, and we know those things. We, we need to remember those things, certainly. 
But I'm talking about practical benefits. I'm talking about, is there something that Jesus does in my life on a daily basis? Where I can say, you know, if, if, if Jesus hadn't died and rose again, that, I wouldn't have this. Or I wouldn't have this attitude or this perspective or these uh, directions or this blessing. Or, or You understand what I'm saying? Practical benefits. So let's take a look at these scriptures today. And we're going to read in, in a little bit different... Not a different story, but a different perspective. You know, there's four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them tell basically the same story. They recount the same events, but from a different perspective to different audiences. Okay, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. Mark's writing to a Gentile audience. Luke is a doctor. He's a lot more detailed. John is not considered what they call a synoptic gospel because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty close together, but John is unique. He, he, he addresses the life of Christ in a little bit different manner. Same thing, same truth, but just four different perspectives. So today we're in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to actually pick up at the end of the crucifixion story to lead us into the resurrection story. And I, I pray that this is going to help us understand what Jesus means to us every day. Not just for eternity, but every day. So follow along if you will. The scripture is going to be on the screen for you. If you would like to follow along there. Mark chapter 15 beginning in verse 42. Here's what the Bible says. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, 
tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you would speak to our hearts very clearly this morning. Grant us understanding, and then I pray you would empower our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this message today is really kind of simple. I got two points, and they're pretty um, obvious, really. The first point is, Jesus really died. The second point is, Jesus is really alive. It's just that simple. I can't improve on a story that is so uh, concise and true. Jesus really died. So the first thing I want us to see is that truth maybe in, in more particular nature from Mark's perspective as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the end of chapter 15, from verse 42 to verse 47, you see that description that we just read. It was the day before the Sabbath, so we're looking at Friday afternoon, going towards the evening. So there's, there's a time is of the essence, right? Because you can't do anything on the Sabbath, and so things have to be prepared and done. That's why they call it preparation day. So... The way the Jewish day system worked, their, their timing was from uh, evening or dusk till dusk the next 24 hours. So Friday evening began the Sabbath, Saturday, and then Saturday evening began the next day. So there was a time period there. They needed to get some things done. So Joseph shows up on the scene. He's a prominent member of the council. The Bible says he was waiting for the kingdom of God um, most scholars would write and, and observe of Joseph that he was a believer, but he was kind of being covert because of his position, and he was trying to ride that fence between, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to get tossed out of my, my group here and lose my position, so I'm kind of keeping it on the down low, so to speak, and I don't want everybody to know, but it was kind of obvious. Because like he and Nicodemus were kind of in the same path, right? Because Nicodemus was in a prominent position also. But he came at night. That's why he came at night to speak to Jesus because he didn't want people seeing. So Joseph shows up and he gets the courage to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. And so what was Pilate's main concern? Is he dead or is he not? So a lot of people, I don't know if you know this, do you know that there are many who debate this point right here. They say that uh, there are theories that, uh, that try to explain away, well, Jesus didn't really um, rise from the dead. He just wasn't ever really dead. Okay? I mean, I know it sounds silly, but people, people think this, that he didn't really die, that they, they call it a swoon, that he just kind of, he looked dead, and he you know, wasn't really breathing, I mean... I thought if, you, if you're not breathing, that means... Anyway, uh, so they thought that he just kind of looked like he was dead, and when they put him in that cool tomb, he, he was revived, and so he got out, and he wasn't really dead. Or then they, some people say, well, the disciples came. Uh, this is why they had the guards, because they were going to steal his body away, and then they're going to say that he, 
he's risen even though he's not. But here's the problem with that. Do you know how many witnesses there were of his death? Not even the, the Scripture, the fact that we read clearly in God's Word, he said his last word, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. He died on the cross. They took him there. The centurion verified. Let me tell you about the centurion. You know how many times that, that centurion had participated in an execution? This wasn't his first rodeo. He knew what he was doing. And by the way, let me just uh, read this brief quote here from James Edwards, who wrote a, a fabulous commentary on this passage. He writes that three witnesses, Joseph, Pilate, and the centurion, testify that Jesus was dead, two of whom... Joseph and the centurion, had actual contact with the body. It's further worth recalling that the Romans had crucified hundreds of thousands of individuals during their centuries in power, not one of whom is recorded as surviving the cross. This grim fact is proof positive that chapter 16, which we're heading to, is not about resuscitation, it's about resurrection. Jesus really died. That's important. That's a truth of the gospel story. Jesus really died. So Pilate granted Jesus' body to Joseph for burial, so Joseph bought a linen cloth, he wrapped Jesus in it, buried him in this tomb, brand new, cut out of the rock. No one had ever been laid there before. And then Joseph rolled this stone against the tomb personally. So there were all kind of witnesses to testify to this truth. Now, at this point, at the end of chapter 15, you see some other bystanders. The Bible says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, also the mother of James, as we'll see in the first part of chapter 16, they watched the burial. You know what that means? That means they were present at the crucifixion and then they were present at the burial. They witnessed the entire process. That's important. They could verify Jesus' death and burial. They could also identify the location of the tomb because, as I mentioned before, you know, it was Friday afternoon, evening, headed towards the nighttime, and the Sabbath would begin, so they couldn't mess around. And here's what they would have normally done. They would have anointed Jesus' body or whomever uh, was, was being crucified. They would have anointed the body prior to the burial. But they didn't have time. So this is why these ladies were so intent. All right, we got to, we're going to follow them at, at a distance. We're going to find out where the tomb is. And now that we know where the tomb is, that means as soon as the Sabbath day is over and we're allowed to do uh, the labor we need to do, as soon as it's over, we're going to get our spices, we're going to get over there to that tomb, and we're going to do what needs to be done. We're going to give him a proper burial. right? So there was time in play and there was a, a mission, so to speak. So that's why the ladies were there. But the point of this is all this. Jesus really died, and it was attested and, and verified by several witnesses. So we know this is not a fiction, okay? And this is not another story to say, well, 
no, he didn't really die, he swooned. Or he, he really, yeah, he was not really completely dead, but then the, the disciples went and took his body. So they wanted to make sure that their story held up. That's not what happened. Okay, there were witnesses. Jesus really died. And that's important to the salvation story, right? Because what do we say? Jesus died for our sins, right? He paid the penalty for us. He provided the sacrifice all the way back. If you can go back to the Old Testament in your mind, you think about the story of Abraham and Isaac from Genesis chapter 22 and and how God asked Abraham to sacrifice this covenant child. He had waited so long for Isaac to be born. And then now all of a sudden God says, here you need to sacrifice your child. And if you recall the story, Abraham is confident in God. He has faith in God. He believed God because Isaac asked the question of his dad when they went to go on the little trip, if you remember. Hey, I see uh, you got some wood for the fire. You got your knife and all for the sacrifice. Where's the, uh, where's the sacrifice? You remember what Abraham told his son? He said, God's going to provide. God's going to provide the sacrifice. Look ahead. Look ahead to the cross. So as that story unfolds, Isaac's on the altar. Abraham is prepared to follow through and be obedient to God. But then God stops him and says, No, 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 don't do that. Don't lay a hand on him. I see now that you have not withheld your only son. That language. Look to the cross. Your only son. And then Abraham looks over and sees the ram in the thicket. God provided his sacrifice. God always provides the sacrifice. And so look, look to the cross. Jesus really died. But most importantly, Jesus really lives. Jesus really lives. When you get to chapter 16, and, and this is kind of what I was alluding to at the very beginning of our gathering this morning, this idea about It's not just Easter Sunday when we celebrate a risen Savior. It's every single day. R.C. Sproul wrote these words. He says, In the day and age which we live, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is proclaimed from the pulpits of evangelical churches regularly. And this is as it should be. However, it seems that Jesus' resurrection from the death He died on the cross is rarely addressed other than on Easter Sunday. This is strange given the fact that evangelicals gather for corporate worship on the first day of the week rather than the seventh because Jesus rose on Sunday morning. And so the Sabbath became the Lord's Day in Christian categories. So every Sunday is an implicit celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And we, we would do well to celebrate it more explicitly. Guess what? Spoiler alert. Tomorrow morning... When you open your eyes, Jesus is still alive. Next Saturday, if you open your eyes, Jesus is still going to be alive. Next month, next year, next century, Jesus is still alive. Every day, all day, all the time, Jesus lives. So Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Salome, they show up because they had bought spices. As soon as they were able, 
they bought spices to take to the tomb so they could anoint the body of Jesus. And they went to the tomb early Sunday morning after the sun had risen. They wondered, well, how are we going to get in there? Because that, we saw that stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. How are we going to get in to do the work we need to do? And they're wondering this, and about that time they look up and they see the stone had already been rolled away. Side note here, just in case you were wondering, the stone was never moved so Jesus could get out. The stone was always moved so we could get in. We need to get into the tomb and see that it's empty. Jesus didn't need a rock moved out of His way. You understand? Jesus is God. They arrived, they saw the stone already rolled away. So they entered the tomb, and they see a young man dressed in white, and they were amazed. Now, interestingly enough, James Edwards writes, the women are not directed to some mystical or spiritual experience or to some numinous encounter. They're directed specifically to Jesus, who died by a crucifixion that they witnessed and was buried in a place they witnessed, and now he's resurrected. So the verbs that are mentioned in verse 6 of chapter 16 refer to both sides of this Easter event. This young man is sitting there, and he's in a white robe, and he says some things. He says, first of all, don't be amazed. Isn't that funny? Don't be amazed. You know what I find? And I'll just speak for myself. Maybe, maybe you can identify with this too. Every time God does something amazing... I'm amazed, right? But should I really be? Shouldn't I believe that, well, He's God, of course He's going to do something amazing. Of course He's going to do the miraculous. Of course He's going to do things that I thought could never happen, because He's God. He created the entire universe by speaking. And all of a sudden, I'm amazed that He did something in my life. Maybe my faith is not as strong as it should be. Why am I surprised when God does the miraculous? If you're taking notes, we shouldn't be surprised. We should be, oh, well, that, that fits because He is, after all, God. We shouldn't be surprised. So the angel says, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Well, he's not here. He's risen. And you know what's usually added after that, especially in Matthew and Luke? He is risen just as he said. That's a little subtle, not so subtle reminder. You didn't believe him? You didn't believe what he told you? He told you three times. You didn't believe him? He, he said He would not be here. He has risen. He is not here. And, and, if, and if they needed verification, you see what the angel says? That's where they laid Him. You were, you were standing right outside. You saw it. You saw them lay Him down right there. So come look at the place where He was lying. He's not there. He's not there. Just as He said. He's risen. And then... Maybe the uh, climax of this particular gospel account, and this is really kind of where I want to settle in before we finish up today. 
this is um, a unique statement from this angel. If you look in your Bibles, and you look at verse 7, here's what you're going to read. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Let's just pause right there for a second. Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Couldn't he have just said, go tell his disciples? He didn't say that. He said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, why do you think that happened? Would Peter be in a position where maybe he needed just a little bit of extra personal encouragement? I don't know, maybe something that happened in the last couple of days that that was monumental in his life. Maybe an extreme failure of some sort. Maybe he needed an extra word from the Lord. Less than 48 hours before, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Not to mention, he, he didn't just know Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He wasn't just one of the twelve. He was one of the three. The closest circle around Jesus during his earthly ministry were Peter, James, and John. He wasn't a nobody. He was one of the closest followers of Christ. And he was the one who was always bold. He was the one who was always outspoken. He was the one who was quick to jump to the defense of Jesus in the garden and pull out his sword and try to defend as if Jesus needs us to defend him. Right? And he was reprimanded or rebuked for that. And Jesus healed the man that he cut in the garden. And after all that, Peter still, because Jesus told him this is going to happen, maybe um, there's something to that Old Testament book, Proverbs, where we read over and over and over, pride comes before the fall. Be careful. You get so confident And so proud in your own abilities and your own um, closeness to Jesus. And then you think, oh, that'll. You ever ever thought this or said it? That'll never happen to me. I would never do something like that, really. So I guess your heart just isn't as sinful as mine. Be careful. Be careful. Peter said to Jesus, I would never deny you. In fact, I'm willing to go to war with you right now. I'll go to prison. I'll even go all the way to death for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, really? I know that's what you think. But before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, you know, he thought, no, never, never. Until it happened. And so Peter was in a position where If there's ever a pity party that was thrown, Peter was throwing it. The Bible says when he caught eyes with Jesus across the courtyard after he denied the third time and the rooster crowed, the Bible says that 
Peter went out and wept bitterly because of what he had just done. Because he remembered. Jesus told him he was going to do it. And so now he's at a point where he feels... Now, now, now this is important, so if please just kind of lean in to, the, to what I'm saying right here. Because I believe that I need this. What I have to say, I, I'm glad I'm here today so I could hear me say this. There are times when we fail, we disobey, or we um, dishonor, or maybe there's, there's something that, that we do or say or think and here's what it causes us to do. It causes us to go down this path, this thought process of, oh, man, I've just, there's no way God would ever use me now. There's no way. I've just, I've just thrown it all. There's no way that God could possibly find a use for me now. This failure is just too much. And, and, and if you can identify with that, I just want you to think for just a moment, what about Peter? How must he have felt closest to Jesus? And then he, he doesn't just disobey, he doesn't just step out of line, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And he's outside the courtyard, alone, weeping. And now he's gathered back with the other disciples. And can you imagine the awkwardness of that gathering? They're, they're waiting. They're late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Peter's not thinking about resurrection. All he's thinking about, most likely, is how miserably he failed. Have you ever been there? You can't see anything positive. You look around at people in the room, maybe they don't know what you're dealing with, but you look around at other people and you think, well, none of them have done as poorly as I have. I'm kind of over here in a, in a situation all by myself because... Nobody else has failed like I have. What could God possibly do with me now? Right? And, and then, some ladies show up, and they have a message. Hey, we, we, just, we just saw an angel. So first of all, Jesus is not in his tomb because he's alive. And, and oh, by the way, Peter, he mentioned you by name. I'm not, I don't understand, but um, he wanted us to tell you all that Jesus is risen just as he said he would. But he mentioned you by name. And, and maybe there's a special message just for you. Maybe it's just a little reminder that says, 
Peter, I know what you're going through. I know what you're thinking. I know how you're feeling right now. Don't give up. I haven't given up on you. Don't give up on me. I still have work for you to do. By the way, um, you know who was the major spokesman, the major preacher of the gospel, the major instrument used for the founding of the New Testament church? Peter. Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14 and just read when after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell on the, the disciples and Peter stands up in front of everybody in Jerusalem gathered from all over the place and he preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. This is the same guy who was outside the courtyard weeping bitterly because of his denial of Christ. And it's the same one that Jesus, through his angel, sent a particular message to. Go tell his disciples, uh, oh, and, and Peter. You tell Peter especially. Because he needs a little encouragement. He has no idea how much I'm going to use him for the kingdom. And, and he didn't. At that point, he had no idea. And if you read John's Gospel, you read in chapter 20, you see that uh, Jesus appears to the disciples on the seashore. And Peter jumps out of the boat, swims. And, and if you remember, the three questions that Jesus asked Peter. Peter, do you love me? Well, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I just yeah, I just said I yeah, I do, of course. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. You know, you, you wonder why he asked him that three times? Should should be fairly obvious. He denied Christ three times. And so, Jesus asked him three times. It's almost like a little reversal. Peter, you need to know some things. Peter, you need to get it straight in your heart before I use you to do all the things I'm going to use you to do. I need you to settle something. I, I need you to have this, this reality settled in your heart before we go any further. Do you really love me? Because... It can't be any kind of indecisiveness where we're headed. See, the story of the resurrection in Mark's Gospel highlights something that I believe every single one of us needs desperately. We need to remember, first of all, Jesus is alive. And because He's alive... We will live. And because we will live, if we trust in Christ, there's not a single person who's done anything that God still can't use for His glory. Not, there's not a single person in this room. I, I, don't, I don't know what any of you may have done. But let me tell you what I do know. I know what I've done. 
And that's all I need to know. I don't need to know the details of every other person's life. I know my own heart and my own life. And I know for a fact, if Jesus is big enough to use me to open a door for somebody, much less stand up here and preach, there's not a single person anywhere that he can't use for his glory. What do we need to know before he will do that? We need to know that Jesus really died, and we need to know that Jesus really lives. He doesn't just live in some uh, obscure, um, nebulous way. So, you know, it's just, well, that's just kind of a thing we believe. Yeah, Jesus is alive. You know, that's why on Easter Sunday, you know, I, I even had a guy uh, text me this morning, one of my best friends. He is risen, and I know what he was expecting. I was, text, I was to text him back, he is risen indeed, because that's kind of the thing, right? So we, we even know what to say. We know, we know how it goes. But what does that really mean? It really means that if Jesus is alive, then there's not a sin that you have committed that will keep you from God's grace. Did, did you hear the song? God's grace will always be greater than our sin. God can use you for His glory if you will turn to Him, repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, ask for forgiveness, run to Jesus. He'll do that. He'll use you. He'll forgive you. He'll be glorified in your life. He'll use you to advance the kingdom. He's just waiting for a response. He's just waiting for us to see Him in all His glory and leave all the nonsense behind and go running to Him. I mean, it sounds almost too good to be true, like it's too simple. Well, it kind of is. It kind of is. See, the resurrection does not magically dispel fear and cowardice and transform fallible humans into faithful disciples. We don't just all of a sudden become faithful disciples. Faithful discipleship consists of following Jesus, not thinking about it, but acting courageously for Christ, not standing on the sidelines and watching. Jesus is attentive to every single detail of our lives. Good and bad. He's attentive to our lives. He cares for us so completely. And, and Peter was in need of specific encouragement following this monumental failure. And Jesus provided exactly what he needed. And the funny thing is, he does the same for us today. He does the same for us today. There's not anything that you can be facing that Jesus can't identify with and help. That, that scenario does not exist. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And He always will be. He, he always has been. 
the Father who sent Jesus to the cross also brought Him out of the grave for our justification. So by the power of God, Jesus is alive. And by the grace of God in Christ, so are we. Folks, we've got to get a hold on this. Do you understand how much love and grace and mercy is available to us? That Jesus is just, it's His desire to shower these things down on us and use us for His glory. He's just, he's just, just waiting. He's, he's speaking to you. I don't know if you've heard Him while we've sat here this morning. He's speaking to you right now. He's, he's crying out, just, just turn away from all that sin. Just come to me. He even says it in those words, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I think there are many people, maybe in here today, who just, they just need rest. <laughs> They need encouragement. And Jesus has all that and so much more. Come to Jesus. Not, not just because it's Easter Sunday. Come to Jesus every day. Let me pray for you. for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.